we have a lot of things that make me extremely bullish on Bitcoin. Did I wish this to happen on the world? Absolutely not. I wish we didn't need to have Bitcoin because we could trust, but we can't. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Compass Mining, and they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass Mining. I am mining with Compass Mining. Now, I've been doing this for about, wow, what is it, like four months now, and I've mined over half a Bitcoin with them. It's pretty cool. It's very cool, actually. I love the fact that I'm back mining, and I also love the way Compass does this. They've made mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they do all the rest of the work for you. Now, if you are interested in mining, or if you want to find out more, then please head over to compassmining.io. That is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Next up, it is Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, and even though they've been with me for a year, I have not sold a single sat with Gemini. I'm only buying. I'm a hodler. But I have been buying Bitcoin with them. Not only have I been buying the dips through Gemini, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up, it's Level. Now, as the world migrates from traditional walled garden financial rails to Bitcoin, Level has rebuilt its Bitcoin trading app to become the first full suite Bitcoin banking app. The Bitcoin revolution isn't just about investing dollars, it's about replacing them. So, while other apps help you to buy Bitcoin, the Level app lets you use your Bitcoin for daily life. You can get paid in Bitcoin, you can spend Bitcoin anywhere, and you can even earn Bitcoin rewards. All of this is alongside a traditional fiat account, so you can manage your Bitcoin alongside your traditional currencies. Now, Level are reserving 500 beta slots for WBD listeners ready to go all in and bank in Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to level.co forward slash WBD, which is lvl.co forward slash WBD for info and early access. Also today, we have sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, we are over halfway through the season. Liverpool have just picked up their first trophy. Tottenham are struggling as ever. This season is going as planned. But how's it going to finish? Do you know how it's going to finish? Will Liverpool win the title? Will they snatch it away from City? Who's going to win the league? Who's going to win the Champions League? Who knows? Well, anyway, if you want to take a bet, sportsbet.io has got you covered. And not just with football. They cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, there's always a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. 
you know what it is? Do you know what's really annoying me? Trying to have a rational conversation with people, trying to make rational points, make an attempt to have like a ask valid questions. Just say, look, I've got questions. This is what I'm thinking. And for people to write you off for asking questions or to insult you for asking questions, oh, yeah. just like, ah, oh, I mean, Danny's brilliant at this. He's like, Pete, just do it on the podcast. There's never a scenario where you're sat here and having a long form conversation. You're asking those questions. Does somebody insult you or call you a status cock or all that bullshit? They, they work through You work through it, through it together. When Every time you do it on Twitter, it just descends into bullshit. And we, we commonly disagree on things. I think, I think yeah. you have a little bit more trust in the state than I do. I'm like a pretty diehard libertarian. Yep. And despite that, I think we have good conversations on, on what Bitcoin did and also on Twitter. It's not like we go attack each other. And I think that that nuance of just having a, a, a friendly debate keeps things civil and it keeps the argument tighter versus like resorting to ad hominem attacks, which I notice is pretty frequent for both you and myself in terms of other people criticizing our, our thoughts or they'll resort to an ad hominem attack immediately or the resort to other techniques that are like straw man, et cetera. So, wow, even more extreme, like attempts to cancel me. I had somebody get in touch with me this week and she, she was like, oh, I've heard some accusations about you. I was like, oh, please tell me. It's like, yeah, you uh, assaulted a woman. I was like, huh? Yeah, I've heard about this. I was like, pretty sure I haven't. And then she said, yeah, um, Laura Luma in front of Jack Dorsey. I was like, hold on a second. I did not assault Laura Luma. Laura Luma was about to get dragged away by security yelling at Jack Dorsey. I went and stood in front of her. I think I touched her arms and just tried to calm her down. Oh, she was the one who yelled at, yeah. at Jack in at Bitcoin 2021, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But these people were like saying, yeah, you shouldn't talk to him. He's this, he's that. He's a dr He was a drug addict. He got divorced. He assaulted a woman. They did this list. It's like, hold on a second. Uh, yeah, I got divorced. Okay. And yes, I was an addict. I've recovered from that. Shouldn't we celebrate that? But like, Of course. But there's these attempts to cancel people within this within the Bitcoin world is is really weird. And, and and the bigger point on this all damn for me is like, hold on a second, there's a splintering going on here when actually, if you go down, uh, I had somebody talk to me about first principles this week. If you go back to the first principles, we're all on the same team with of Bitcoin. Course. We're all on the same team. But if we splinter and we attack each other, we actually, what, what are we actually doing? Are we holding back the growth of Bitcoin? Are we holding back education? Are we confusing new people coming in? Do we look like a deranged bunch of morons who are going to dogpile in on every criticism? By the way, I know everything I'm talking about here that I have some hypocrisies. We're all learning. But what are we doing here? Yeah, I think the friendly fire is how I call it. The friendly fire in the Bitcoin ecosystem has reached, I think, a really bad point um, to where... The toxicity in Bitcoin existed for a good reason to preserve some of Bitcoin's cultural values, which those cultural values then enforce the preservation of more important things like the 21 million hard cap and keeping the block size smaller or reducing the amount of influence uh, companies and powerful individuals have over the protocol. So that, that, that intense or AKA toxic community had a purpose, you know, back in the block size wars and for other, other things. That has turned to, I would say, an autoimmune issue or starting to attack its own body because there actually isn't that big of a threat to Bitcoin. There's no Bitcoin cash. There is no, I would say, major threat externally. I mean, sure, you've got other protocols, but none of them compete to be a sound money as well as Bitcoin does. 
And so without having an attacker to fight against, the uh, white blood cells start to attack the own body. There's a couple of interesting points on that. And again, I agree. But I was around during the block size wars. I was new. I didn't understand it. But I, I'm not even sure the word toxic is right. I don't, it wasn't a toxicity. It was a firm holding of the line. The likes of John Carvalho, Adam right. Back, yeah, Eric Lombroso, people like, they held the line, they held it firm. Um, what we have now is there's this like new influx of people who probably weren't even there during the block size wars. They all seem to have a name like Dot Hoddle. They call themselves the plebs. Sorry. And as a group, they've almost become like the nanny state. It's, yeah. got, it's outside of Bitcoin. They say we're here to defend Bitcoin, but it's like, I actually don't care about shit coins. I cared about Bitcoin cash and I would care about that kind of, that's a direct attack on Bitcoin. All right, shit coin. I don't even care. Actually, I want to be friends with them because I want them coming into Bitcoin, right? Totally. But now it's like every opinion you hold, they're coming at you if it's not the right opinion. And there's a really important point on this. Based on the applications for people who want to be guests on the show or the people I'm talking to or the people who email me, there's been an influx of moderates and lefties coming into Bitcoin. And there are solid arguments for why people on the left should care about Bitcoin. Totally. And I think that, you know, Bitcoin's original core value is very libertarian and they're somewhat inherent because it's about freedom to transact with whomever you want. So whether you be left or right, Bitcoin is a very libertarian foundational ideology. It's, it's very permissive which libertarian ideology is the only most permissive ideology out there. What you do with you, you want with your body and with your money. Now, when it comes to the left and the right, um, I certainly think that, yeah, we have seen more left and moderate start to come into Bitcoin, which is encouraging. Bitcoin is for everyone. So that's fantastic. It means we're winning. It means we're winning. And also, I think a lot of the Bitcoiners that are more right-leaning, what they don't realize is that this may change how they think. Once they see Bitcoin's permissionless structure, they have to somewhat become libertarian-esque. And same with the conservatives. If the conservatives have certain values that want to restrict people's body or money, well, cool, Bitcoin doesn't care about that. And I think that's what's kind of cool is Bitcoin's a forcing function on both sides to make them bend a little bit more towards what I would call classic liberal values. <laughs> you know, li liberty, if you will, right? I mean, that's what libertarian ideology is really based on. So I think Bitcoin is a forcing function to force both sides kind of into its gravitas of freedom and sort of that ethos. Now, I think with, you know, with kind of what recently has happened is there's kind of a weird subset of Bitcoiners who really lean in on the, a very, very conservative sort of style of Bitcoin. Um, one that leans into very conservative values. That's totally cool. Like if you want to have that as your narrative and that's what Bitcoin means to you, awesome. Yeah, Like, I'm not saying that's wrong or, or right, but you shouldn't also say that that's what everyone's value should be when they use Bitcoin. Um, it's funny, too, because, like, I was there 10 years ago. I don't remember almost any of these people that are the more, more right side. Almost none of them were there. And Bitcoin was, you know, pretty libertarian. I mean, this was like, Bitcoin back in that era was like, cool, man. Like you want to go buy drugs in Silk Road. <laughs> that was the mindset, you know, like super, super liberal burning man meets buying drugs in Silk Road meets I've got a AR-15 stay off my property, you know? And so, uh, to see it kind of like them start to lean in with different conservative values is very interesting. 
And then to claim that that has always been Bitcoin's culture, I think, is, is pretty incorrect. I mean, Bitcoin's culture has always been very libertarian. Yeah, and look, I guess some of it, Dan, I mean, the last two, three years have been, it's not been a great time for the state. <laughs> They're not a great, great run this last two or three years. Uh, for me, that doesn't mean burn everything down and start again. Um, it's, it just doesn't. There are things that need fixing. There are things that are clearly wrong. But that's not where I am. But I would recommend anyone struggling with this, go and read The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. There is a reason some people lean conservative and there's a reason some people lean liberal. Uh, it's some of its nature, some of its nurture. But you are not going to convert somebody into your way of thinking by shouting at them or cancelling them. This whole idea that there that there's like this world of less left wokeism seems to miss there is some right wokeism going on. There's like anti-woke woke and cancel culture exists on the right. Totally. Absolutely. What's really bizarre about, I think, some of the pleb culture, which I respect a lot of it. Yeah. Um, don't trust authority figures. Trust, you know, Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network. That's Those are awesome principles. Um, I think some of the ones I don't agree with are, are these cancellations, sort of like this cancellation mindset of a purity test. What is the most pure version of being a Bitcoiner possible? And so they come up with, there, there's some of, and, and this doesn't represent all of them, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm certain, like, who knows which percentage believes in what or whatnot. But, you know, here's like good examples. Um, you know, one is, remember, we both have lent out our Bitcoin, mm -hmm. like on BlockFi or yep. Celsius or Nexo or LetIn. It's my Bitcoin. I can do whatever the hell I want with it. Yeah. So why would you care if I do that or not? I mean, it's such a bizarre mindset. Or to think that the Bitcoin standard would come into existence and lending would never exist again. It's all, also, there's these like certain people who can completely crazy who will make things up like actually make things up oh yeah i've had uh the spook accusation which has gone <laughs> that's on that's a popular one now yeah you're a spook okay why well you must be well why come and audit me follow me follow me around for a year see if i'm a spook like uh, um, but also it's ludicrous even having to prove it. it's like it's just fucking ludicrous uh and then the what? What are the other ones? Like the status cuck. Status cuck. Yeah. Well, that that's just that's co that that's language which tries to coerce you away from holding opinions, and I, it works. Self censorship is censorship, and yep. I know it works because the emails I get from people saying, "Don't want to talk about this on Twitter, but I've got these questions," or "Can you cover these subjects?" because they know they're going to get yelled at. Uh, what are the other ones? Oh, you you're. Uh, coin apologist. Yeah, Shitcoin apologist. You're paid by Pfizer. I was like, do you know how much they're paying people? It's fifteen hundred dollars. Like, come on, let's get yeah. the real world. Like, it's just lying, canceling, coercing, and abusing. But the look from the outside is terrible. Agreed. I think that I I understand where they come from. By the way, of mm -hmm. you see false information. See an altcoiner comes in and says Bitcoin's too slow. A classic one, right? Too slow or too expensive. You know, and so immediately after answering this question for the last 10 years, your blood starts to boil a little bit because you're like, this is, I've answered this a thousand times. And so some of them resort to the the more like shouting, angry style. But I find, and, and I've pushed back on this a lot, as you have, that that's not that effective. I mean, Bitcoin's dominance percentage has never been lower. So if it had been effective, then... Bitcoin would have like a 99% dominance, a more effective way. So like that, that's like a quantitative way to qualify, to like look at this. Um, qualitatively, 
you know, you don't go to and they go, well, Bitcoin's so useful that I don't have to be nice because people should just get it. And I'm like, I don't think that happened to you the first time you got it. Or they, they, they shit on people because they speculate or they day trade it. No one's perfect. I did too when I first started. That's right. Dan Held wasn't a perfect hodler from the beginning. No one is. We all learned through pain and, and trial and error. Um, but also from the people that were kind to us and explained things to us. And, you know, I didn't really have many people there to explain things in a simplistic manner. Hence why I care about doing that. Um, the positivity outweighs negativity almost every time. And when we look at like a scenario where, um, you know, let's say someone made a lot of money on Doge. My narrative now, instead of being like, repent, repent, <laughs> sell your Dogecoin, which is what these people try to push, sort of the fire and brimstone version of Bitcoin. I tell them, I'm like, cool, we're all guilty of trading. Most 99% of us are probably guilty of trading alts at one point or day trading. And congratulations on making a bunch of money in Dogecoin. But you know what? I'm an old timer. You probably want to roll out those gains into Bitcoin. And that is, a, I think, going to reach more people than like, repent, repent, you're a terrible person. Because they're not a bad person. They just didn't know you know, they might have just been trading it for fun, right? It's like a... Well, they don't care. Yeah, they don't care. They they don't care about the mission of crypto or Bitcoin or whatever. They they just care about the mission of like making money. And so they, they come for the speculation and to make them stay for the sound money, we need to explain it to them rather than make them feel bad. You're not going to shout people into changing their opinions. People will, will you know, they'll, they'll turn inwards, they'll back away. But it's like parenting 101. You learn very quickly as a parent, shouting and at your kids doesn't make a difference. And it just makes no difference. You have to talk to them. You have to teach them good skills. You have to help them. You have to guide them. You have to, there has to be rewards. There has to be, they have to go on their own and learn sometimes and make mistakes. But this kind of like shouting and. It's super strange. I mean, I would love to see a, a psychological breakdown of who these people are. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I think you've taken the right approach. I've seen some of your comments where you say, you know, like, look, Sounds like you have some things you need to work out in your own life. I recommend you do so. <laughs> You're giving them basically free, <laughs> free, you know, free like psychiatric or psycho psycho psychology. I, I have to pay for one of them's therapy. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically therapy because like, I think you're right. I think they're using Bitcoin in that the the pleb shield as kind of like an identity for just being an asshole. But that and, becomes a race to the bottom. Like who can be the biggest asshole? Yeah, and I've noticed that as well. Like they're like, the biggest asshole is the one. They respect that because if you're an asshole, you're irreverent and it means that you don't give a fuck. And it's like, cool, anyone can do that. Yeah. So like in, in according to your own objective and mission, which is to convert more people into Bitcoin, if you look at your own standard of why you do this, then you realize it's not even being effective. So why would you continue to do it unless you just felt like you were being an asshole and you liked it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I even went on. Like I, every single one of them, I'm like, I'm always happy to answer questions. I went into a, a group the other day, like a spaces of a bunch of very angry people. And I sat there and I was willing to answer question after question. I did. And then you just get some dude come and go, you fat maggot, you fucking grow. Like just as like, listen, I'm happy to stay. I'll answer any question and admit when I'm wrong. But like, come on. Yeah. Fucking fat Mac. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. What's so weird about you is I think like, you're one of the most transparent people I know. You've, you've gone through a lot. We all do. We all have our own life struggles in our journey. 
But you've been very transparent with some of yours, you know, for example, like your previous drug addiction and stuff. Can I tell you why, though? The really interesting point on that. Because um, <laughs> also, it's always like you're a attention seeker. Uh, I've probably had in the history of Bitcoin maybe 200 people re reach out to me who've got abuse, uh, substance issues. And they're like, what did you do? I'm struggling. I've got this issue. I'm taking this drug. I'm drinking, like, issues. And all I can do is go, okay, I was in the same place. These are the three things that work for me, which was always like, I always said, I went running, I did yoga, and I meditated. And if you need it, there's an app called Calm, which was really good for me. And this is how I got out of it. I also had a job to focus on. Because once you show your vulnerability and your mistakes, other people might approach you. And I don't see a single downside to saying, yeah, I've been through some shit. Yeah, I got divorced and it was awful. Yeah, after that I was addicted to drugs. But this is how I got out of it and rebuilt my life. And there's people appreciating, you can share, share that with them. And I say that because somebody did it for me when I was in that bad place. Yep. Somebody gave me their time, uh, made themselves available. Somebody with a successful podcast made themselves available and, and that changed my life. So I was like, and I just think, why are you attacking someone for doing that? Like, do you want other people to suffer? It's incredibly cruel. And, and I was to kind of wrap up what I wanted to say about that is I respect you even more because you say that. I've, I've got all sorts of things, as we all do. But it takes a lot of courage to put that out there. And so I find people that say, like, when I see people say that to you, <laughs> I block them too. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, fuck this guy. Yeah. Like, Peter's a good person. And the fact that he put himself out there is incredibly emotionally vulnerable. And the fact that you're attacking him for recovering, which everyone has their own struggles, is just incredibly cold and just really douchey. So I, when I see that, I just automatically block him as well. This, uh, this kind of conversation has been expanding. Um, we did an interview with Jeff Booth and we talked about this. Uh, we were down, me and Danny were down last night in uh, a bar run by Galaxy. We're doing an event. There's a pleb guy there saying we need to get away from some of this. And it was one of the reasons, I mean, I did, there was a thread this uh, last week from Saferdeen, for example. Me and, him, me and him have history. We're not friends. Um, but his, I found his thread regarding climate change. I disagreed with it. And I disagreed with it based on my own research. I've interviewed climate scientists. I've spoken to people who are the other side of the discussion who maybe disagree and doesn't think that doesn't think there is an issue. And I've come to a set of beliefs based based on what I've read and who I've spoken to. And so I disagreed with him. I disagreed with the approach in his thread to insult people whilst giving his evidence. So I wrote what I thought was a very considered very considered thread. This is what I agree with. This is what I disagree with. This is what I don't know. This is what I'm going to do with the information. And, and even after I wrote it, I actually sat Danny down. I said, look, am I, am I being honest here? Am I being fair? And Danny went through it and said, no, you are. And I published it. And it just got loads of shit back. And I was like, the outside world is looking in. Whether you think you're right or wrong, or I'm right or wrong, the majority of people in the world believe there is a climate issue. If we, if we have a bunch of people who look like crazy denialists, what message has that given you? It's not that they're not saying you shouldn't hold that opinion. Absolutely hold that opinion. But why are you not allowing your opinion to be challenged? Why are you not willing to discuss it? Because you look, you look fringe and you look crazy. Uh, it's Yakimo, right? Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Giacomo Zucco. Giacomo, yeah. Giacomo, yeah. Giacomo, um, the Italian guy. Yeah, yeah, he's good. Um, 
Yeah, I, I like him a lot. And he had a quote from one of the honey, uh, the Baltic Honey Badger conferences, which one of the, those are actually some of my favorite, by the way. I think we were there it, it, we were. back in 19. Yeah. I love the town. It was really cool. Um, love the food, love the people. Um, I love the environment with all the Bitcoiners out there. And he had something like that, that he said, which is you're free to become irrelevant. I'm not saying this about Safedine. I respect Safedine, love his books, um, like his thoughts on monetary policy and everything else. Um, but when it comes to marketing Bitcoin or, or prophesizing Bitcoin, if your narrative is what the audience wants to hear about Bitcoin, then you will continue to accrue an audience and grow larger and larger. If the narrative you have about Bitcoin is one that people don't want to hear about, your audience will stay the same or stagnate or grow slower. And so, for, for example, if I said, like, I believe in the alien theory of Bitcoin, aliens created Bitcoin and there's no other competing theory. That's it. That's exactly what happened. I'm sure I will find a subset of people that believe in that with me. It won't be a large audience because that's a very niche sort of group. Now, I am not at all seeing anyone who's more, uh, anyone in Bitcoin right now is like that sort of level. I'm just saying that if they choose their own version of Bitcoin, whether that be the super conservative version of Bitcoin or the super liberal version of Bitcoin, those appeal to certain target segments, right? People who find a narrative that can bridge the gap between both will tap into both segments and grow faster and build a bigger audience than both of those. So what I'm trying to say is that um, you can have whatever flavor of Bitcoin you want, but if that's not the flavor that people want to hear, then your audience isn't going to grow and your voice is going to stay the same or grow smaller. And we see that happening with, with some of the, I don't want to call out individuals, but mm. we see that with some sort of narratives to where if you look at like audience growth on YouTube or Twitter and you look at it on like, for example, um, uh, Social Blade. Yeah, I know it, Social Blade. It's pretty distinctive of who's growing a lot faster and what narratives are propagating. And I would say a more, a less fire and brimstone narrative and a more, hey, come to Bitcoin, hear all the positive things about Bitcoin. Yeah, sure, if you want to go explore that stuff, cool. But you should check out, here's my narrative now too is, oh, cool, you're excited about these other things? That That's great. But you need to learn the basics. So learn about Bitcoin first. When you start with that sort of approach, you're not saying they're a bad person for wanting to learn about the other stuff, but when they learn about Bitcoin in depth, it'll be hard for them to want to go like other things because they'll realize different design parameters of Bitcoin or why Bitcoin's valuable versus just calling it a shitcoin or saying that that sucks. That doesn't really give it that doesn't really give a newbie the right context in which to make a decision, but going, hey, start with the basics. Bitcoin is ba like Bitcoin is the first. But understand it completely, and that way you can evaluate every other crypto asset you look at. It's probably a net bad, even for myself. Like even if I think I'm right, you know, when I when I uh, sling a bit of mud back, there's a few people you put off, and it's like actually my own delivery method can be equally criticized. What's even worse is that you produce good content, and this takes this erodes from your self confidence, even if you may not admit it. Little tiny bits. No, it does. It does. Chips, chips away, and it's not emotionally healthy is what I've noticed for myself as well. Like you have all these little chips that chip away at it. I can see daddy nodded in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you have all these little chips. It's like little tiny chips though. It's not like a big chunk out of like, like let's say your mental health is like a statue of your face. It's like little tiny chips. They're like tiny, tiny chips, but enough of them, you know, it starts to really erode who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we just need to get back to the mission. That's what it needs to be. 
Exactly. And, and, and getting into the weeds with pleb 559 <laughs> is not going to like really be like a good sort of use of your time. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Casa. Whether you've just bought your first SaaS or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin does not have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it is just a click or phone call away. Casa has best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Now, 12 Canada recently showed us the importance of self-custody and taking control of your money when they froze protesters' finances with no warning. Take your financial freedom into your hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, it is BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, of course, I am a BCB customer too now. Now, they heard about the difficulty I was having finding a new bank and they understand Bitcoin. So when they reached out to me and said, Pete, you should move your account over to BCB Group, I was like, sure. Sounds absolutely perfect for me. And I could not be happier with the service they have provided me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now, listen, I know some of you have also had trouble with your banking. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, it is Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, listen, in Bitcoin, we have this saying, right? Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So if you're a Bitcoin holder, it is your money and it's time for you to own it. And if you're not storing your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, then you are trusting somebody else. I took control of my Bitcoin back in 2017 when I bought my first Ledger Nano S, and I'm still using that same device today. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you would like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Also today, we have BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin. There are no fees to use this card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases in your first three months and then 1.5% back forever after. And also for every dollar you spend over 50,000 annually, you can get 2% back in Bitcoin. Now, if you want to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com for more information and to find out the terms and conditions. This is BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. 
All right, man. Well, listen, let's talk about Bitcoin. Let's talk about Bitcoin. Let's talk about Bitcoin. Last couple of times, or two of the more recent shows you've done, well, actually, I didn't probably go back a bit now. Uh, we talked about SuperCycle. Uh, and that's an interesting concept because I know you're either the first or one of the first to definitely talk about it. I think you would say I'm the first. Uh, you're the first person I heard talk about it. Well, thank you. I, I'm not sure if I'm the first. There's always the who is first to say anything. But I did mention in 2019, yeah. which was one of the first mentions. And we talked about it a lot. And uh, we talked about it again. And I think it's right to talk about it again because it's an interesting concept because the Bitcoin chart reflects cycles. And everybody, I th well, a lot of people believe this year was going to be the same. Bitcoin was going to go to $150,000 to $200,000. It didn't. It's done a lot of weird stuff and the cycle might be breaking. Now, if the cycle breaks into a super cycle or if the cycle breaks into just something a little more irregular, I personally think it's good for Bitcoin. Knowing, having some kind of uh, mapped out vision where it's going to go and everyone following that, I don't think it's good. I think we need the asset to mature and its pricing model to mature. So I'm super interested in the I'm super interested in the super cycle. Um, now I've got a lot of new listeners. They might not have heard the previous two shows. I would recommend go to the sh go go onto the website, look up Dan Hell, look up the super cycle. But just for the sake of those people, remind what the super cycle thesis is. Yeah. So the super cycle's thesis, as I phrased it in 2019, and this was before 2020 when we had COVID, was we have a sort of perfect storm where we have governments with reckless monetary policy, we have Bitcoin adoption that has never been higher, and the infrastructure to, to support mainstream Bitcoin adoption in terms of billions of people getting in. We have um, trust in governments and institutions at all-time lows, including universities, uh, military, and, uh, and journalists, and politics. And so all of that combined, um, and we were at a bear market then, I was like, if a bull market coincides with a huge jump in loss of faith with institutions or another financial crisis, we could have a super cycle. So that was the original sort of super cycle thesis, as I mentioned in 2019, on Anita Pasha's uh, podcast. And so um, basically what that describes of the outcome of that, well, what does that mean? That means that this cycle would be different, different than the other cycles. And so uh, I described it as being a either more intense bull run or like a, a bull run, a muted bear market, and then maybe another immediate bull run, kind of like a 2013. And so at first we thought we were mimicking 2013. We had the top, went down a little, we had, we had a up to 69,000 really fast, then down a little bit, and then it started to run back up. A little bit, 55%, not a little bit. <laughs> It's Bitcoin, so 55, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. it versus an 85% drawdown, which is like a typical bear market drawdown. Um, so I would can still consider that muted versus another Bitcoin cycle because 40%, 50% drops are somewhat common. Yeah. Um, and so we all thought like it might look like 2013. We haven't seen that happen, but we are seeing a, if we are in a bear market or we're still in maybe in an elongated bull market, we're definitely seeing that the cycle is far different. Now, some folks would say, this does look like an obvious pattern that this isn't a super cycle at all, but it's actually mimicking the cycles elongating, which is another theory as well, that if we look at the cycles over time, they have been elongating in terms of like peak to trough. And so their, their sort of prediction is that late 2022 is when we see that, that big bull, bull run. Um, also could be, you know, I think in the super cycle thesis, um, 
you know, we do have the perfect storm and, and even a more perfect storm than 2019. I mean, so much has happened. Uh, COVID, I think, has, has given us good reason to doubt our government's capability of handling various parts of our economy and our lives. And uh, with all the money printing that went down too, Bitcoin's utility has never shined brighter. Um, we also have Canada and geopolitical struggles all across the world that I think highlight exactly why Bitcoin is valuable right now. Dan, every major incident or news event has a Bitcoin angle now. It's crazy. Yeah. Every single, because everything seems to be tied to money. Naturally, is how we coordinate. But there's a Bitcoin angle to everything. Hedge against massive inflation, which has some nuance to it, because I think the inflation hedge isn't exactly as people say. I saw a great tweet with this guy who was like, uh, I bought Bitcoin at uh, 69,000 to hedge inflation. I'm down 55%. <laughs> but like, it's a long-term hedge, I think. But yeah, Canadian truckers having their funds stolen from them. Uh, Ukrainian army fundraising. Russian citizens being essentially cancelled and having the ruble destroyed. Two sides of a war both both sides of that both of the people both of the people outside of the psychopaths making the decisions are have a bitcoin angle to protect themselves every major news story right and and so if we look at when like different events where we start to distrust our government don't happen very often they're sort of like major events and we've had a lot of them happen in a very short time span and so the the in, in marketing what we call this is like uh, awareness and consideration level of the marketing funnel. So before you go try a new product or service, you go through different stages. You become aware of the product, you consider the product, and then there's different stages further down the funnel of eventually um, acquiring, the, like getting acquired by the product in terms of using the product and then, or, or like signing up for the product and then you get activated, which is I've tried, the, I've tried out the product and I get why it's valuable. We have a lot of people entering the awareness and consideration stage for Bitcoin right now, which how marketing works typically between like a brand and growth marketing org is that you have brand marketing and growth marketing work together. So growth marketing tries to get them from the awareness level to acquisition, to a signing up or to uh, sometimes they go all the way to activation. So I know the funnel from my days. You know the funnel from back in your days. And so this might sound boring, but this is actually how professional marketers think about getting people to try something for the first time. So when it comes to Bitcoin, we have a very large amount of people entering that top of the funnel. Awareness. Almost everyone's aware of Bitcoin now. Everyone. Everyone. There's nobody ever. They're like, what do you do? I run a Bitcoin podcast. What's Bitcoin? Yeah, we like, do. huh, I've got questions. Yeah, we don't hear that anymore. No. So we've got almost everyone in the awareness level of the funnel, which is awesome. That's the first step. They have to be aware of it before they can consider it. Now they're starting to trickle into the consideration phase of going, oh, wait a second. Like my money could be seized by in Canada or in Ukraine or in Russia, you know, and like, what if that happens in my own country? Maybe this Bitcoin thing is for me. So I think we're seeing in mass, a lot of people entering that awareness stage and maybe more catalysts moment, more catalyst moments or shocks in the economy or a war shakes them down into the acquisition sort of level where they start to go, okay. I've considered it. I'm ready now. I'm ready to sign up. I'm ready to go try out Bitcoin. And so, you know, it takes them entering those stages before they can start to, you know, buy Bitcoin and Bitcoin's price starts to move up. So I think, you know, we have a large amount of people ready there. 
And there's certain sort of events that I don't know exactly what those events might be or narratives, but those could push all those people into those lower stages of the funnel. And that means direct price action, the price going up. Well, this is why the earlier part of our conversation is important, because during that consideration, activation, retention phase, this is where I feel like we have, we're much better if we unified. We can disagree, but we're kind of unified on the mission, the first principles of Bitcoin, rather than them coming into the, uh, the consideration activation phase. And it's like a war zone of like bullshit. <laughs> but, but you're right. We're there. Anyway, back, sorry, back to the super cycle. Yeah. So, you know, I think all the elements are here for the super cycle thesis to be one. One, it is, a. I think, when I laid it out in 2019, it's not only become more apparent that it could be a super cycle in terms of it breaking the normal cycle. Um, super cycle TLDR is it breaks the normal cycle. Um, and we have a lot of things that make me extremely bullish on Bitcoin. I mean, I've waited 10 years to see moments like this. Did I wish this to happen on the world? Absolutely not. I wish we didn't need to have Bitcoin because we could trust, but we can't. Well, you would rather Bitcoin was the offense than the defense. I'd rather the world be such a good place that we don't need something like that, where everyone could have that trust, but we don't. And that's just how the world is. And so um, with with that, I think with Bitcoin, um, you know, we have such a prime moment for people to realize why it's valuable. I bring that up because a lot of people are like, wait, so you wanted the world to fall apart? And I'm like, no, I don't want the yeah, world to yeah, fall yeah. apart. That's why I caveat with that is I wish I didn't have to want Bitcoin uh, because I wish the world was a better place. But it, it is what it is, and that's why we need it. And so, yeah, we shouldn't blame Bitcoin. People are like, well, you're profiting off the success of, of the world collapsing. I'm like, no, I, I bought an ARC, and I knew the flood was coming, and you didn't plan right. Or I knew we might have a bad harvest season, so I set aside some grain to survive. And, and so there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing evil about that. There's, nothing, there's no profiteering. That's just proper planning. If anything, you've been out there trying to help people exactly. prepare for this. Precisely, we've been both doing this. Where you know, thousands of us have been going out, tens of thousands of us have been going out, telling people, "Hey, you might want to consider Bitcoin if this happens." What What would invalidate the thesis? What do you think? Because it's still possible. Look, there's weird things happening right now. We've seen it uh, in the, some four courts in London. Uh, diesels hit two pound a Oof. yeah two pound a, a liter, liter right? which is yeah. works out just shy of ten dollars a gallon you yeah. know it's when somebody's like posting images oh. of six dollars a gallon i'm like yeah, hold my beer you know it's hard for me to do middle earth calculations between your pounds and dollars but you know i, I get the idea yeah yeah it's um, uh, but 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 that's happening food prices are going up yeah, yeah nick the, carter talked about this he talked about when uh, commodities are expensive, humans flourish when commodities are cheap and commodities are expensive. But we are heading into weird times and Bitcoin has proved to be a risk-off asset in these times. So there are there are still risks to this. Yeah, and I think the super cycle thesis would be invalidated if my hypothesis that people would find value in Bitcoin or learn about it, given the background that we have here, if people just don't care. And maybe they don't. Maybe it's too complicated to tell people about how sound money works. Maybe there is a limit to how many people actually want to learn. Now, I think some of the core principles that would would disagree with that in terms of like saying that, like, I don't think there's a limited TAM here. I think the TAM is the whole population. I think everyone wants to preserve their wealth. I don't think there's anyone on earth who doesn't. And so I find it very hard to believe that the whole world wouldn't want Bitcoin. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong where 
there may be certain groups that will always trust the government no matter what. And they would always prefer to hold something more stable, even if it loses purchasing power every year, versus something with some volatility. Um, some people have, and this is actually a good thought experiment, I'd be curious to hear what you think. Mm -hmm. Gold's TAM is only $10 trillion, and not many people own gold today. So why do we believe that more people would own Bitcoin? It's easier to buy and hold Bitcoin. In way fairness, easier. Way yeah. easier. Um, it's a bit more fun to buy and hold Bitcoin. Yeah, it's a bit more irreverent. It's less old. Yeah. Uh, it's more usable. I mean, it's just a better product. Totally, totally. But, you know, it is still a, a derivative sort of prop, not a derivative, but a, a version 2.0 to where like maybe the TAM is 20 trillion, but it's not, but it's still not like the whole world's wealth flows into Bitcoin. Yeah, I think uh, the TAM is a total, total addressable market. Um, I, I think the total addressable market of Bitcoin is magnitudes higher than gold. And I agree too. Yeah. I, I'm just, you know, we both talked about how being open-minded and like yeah. allowing criticism for our own ideas. If the super cycle doesn't play out, I think it would lead me to believe that there isn't as big of a want or need for sound money as I thought. Yeah, it's a tricky one because one thing, there's, there's two angles to one in sound money. There is the personal protection of your wealth, but there's also the wider macro impact on society. We have a belief that an economy backed by Bitcoin, getting away from cheap credit, wealth disparity, is a is a better world. But it it's always hard to sell people on the ethical side of things. Number go up is a far far easier conversation. Although we do have uh, situations now like people fleeing war zones, who've lost everything. There's stories out there of people who fled with Bitcoin. That's been the only money they've been able to take with them. But a lot of us, I don't think are planning for that scenario. We don't believe it will happen to us. Um, yeah, especially especially in Western developed countries like the United States and Canada, where we believe, well, we have democracy and we have these things and these, these checks and balances in place. And mm -hmm. I think the when we look at civilization, it's a thin veneer. I forget who had that quote originally, but mm -hmm. civilization can go away in a matter of weeks. Take away electricity and water. See what happens. Yep. And so when they look at when we look at governments as well, like that, those democratic or those like those rights that you have can be taken away almost immediately. And that's what's so cool about Bitcoin is through Bitcoin's technology and how it's been built and the social consensus around it. It preserves your rights without a government giving you those rights. As similarly, and I know you disagree, as similarly like guns for that mechanism. No, I don't. I don't disagree on guns. But okay. my, my view on guns is, is very simple. Uh, I want them in the UK. I, I don't want them in the UK. We don't have a gun culture. I think a transition from a non-gun culture to a gun culture comes with a lot of risks. It's dangerous. But I fully understand the thesis of why people want guns here. I look at net risk and net benefit, and I don't believe it exists in the UK. And look, I could be wrong. Yeah, and that's where I think what's cool about both of those, like Bitcoin and guns, is that they're both sort of self-sovereign tools, right? Like, you have that gun, you can defend yourself against any attacker, even a state-level attacker. And with Bitcoin, same thing. Bitcoin, obviously, a little bit more achievable <laughs> versus a solo uh, AR-15 and a government. But those principles are, I think, human rights issues that you should deserve to defend your body with military-level sort of equipment 
and defend your money with military-level sort of equipment. If, if I lived here in Texas, I'd own a gun. I'd probably have a couple because because it's a, it's a different culture. And, and Yeah. It, it just depends on your culture, but I mean the high, I'm, I don't want to get into a gun debate of are no, they good or not. It's just more of like what what purposes they serve for like state level sort of protection. Yeah, I, I'm also somebody who supports democracy despite its criticisms, and I know it's completely flawed in many ways. But in the UK, there is no appetite for for a gun culture. There's just zero. So like, why why even it's, it's, for me, it's a discussion you can have, but if if that group of people doesn't want it, then we don't have it. Yeah, of course. And every group of people can govern themselves any way they like. Um, what's funny is like a lot of people want to lean more socialist. And I'm like, so actually what you mean is you want a libertarian sort of culture because in libertarian societies, you're free to create any sort of sub-socialist group you want. It's cool. You want to have a commune and you go, you guys all split your income equally? Have at it. It's automatically inclusive versus the other one, which isn't because you're like in a socialist society, they're like, you know, you have to share your wealth. You're not allowed to have your own income or you're not allowed to have your own income to a certain extent. And so, yeah, I think that any society is free to choose what they like and people can opt in or out. And that's the whole point of being able to join different states or join different countries. And so, yeah, Texas might pride itself in, in guns and ownership, but other countries don't. And that's totally cool. Um, naturally, as a Texan, I, you know, yeah. I, I like having a couple guns. So what it's like for you, man, you, you've, been, you've done 10 years. You've done, like, you're on your third tour of duty. Well, I, I probably mentioned this before, but you've seen the gray hairs in my beard? No, I can't no, see any, man. I, I shaved it's, it so you can't see it. Not like mine, dude. It's getting, you know, it's a, it's a long time to be in the space. Um, a really long time. And in fact, you almost don't see many people last that long because like they either, they either made a lot of money or most of them didn't make a lot of money, they sold. That's what I think is a funny, funny thing about OGs, is everyone assumes they're like billionaires. Yeah. And it's like, dude, most sold, and I did not, but most sold when Bitcoin hit a thousand, because they had like a, and this is a true story of a friend of mine, he had a thousand Bitcoin, he never really believed, he's from the 13 era, never really believed, he's kind of into it, not really though. And so when it hit a thousand, he sold it all because he was a millionaire. All of it. Well, he's a millionaire for the first time and his family's not from wealth. Uh-huh. You know, and so they don't understand that a million dollars isn't like, you know, retirement. They, they're a millionaire now and they're maybe the wealthiest person that they know. Because um, Bitcoin didn't attract the super wealthy or the uh, high income folks or anyway, it just attracted a wide variety of people. But a lot of them were kind of tinkerers, torrenters, buying stuff in Silk Road engineers. So it wasn't necessarily like a, you know, white collar, high income sort of like group. And a lot of them sold because they, they one never truly believed in it until they had made money that they thought was life changing. Um, for me, I was like, well, there's <laughs> the only time I'd ever even consider it is Bitcoin has to hit trillions in market cap where it, it starts to touch my investment thesis of gold that you would even want to consider that. I still want to hodl for forever. But if you were someone who wanted to take money off the table, that's what you would do. Um, you know, is like you enter your investment thesis and like, why would you sell at any point between now and when Bitcoin becomes digital gold? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, my, my uh, maybe it's my age, but my goals have changed as well. Like, uh, of course, like anyone younger in my 20s, I wanted to be rich. I want to be a millionaire. And now it's like, actually, no, <laughs> like an old man, I want to. 
I want longer term security and control of my time. Uh, buying stuff never really makes you happy. Things, I mean, some some do like, yeah, but it's it's more about um, longer term security and control of time. Yeah, I think I think this is like a good journey into like long term hodling, like the mindset. What's kind of funny is like I don't really consider any of my Bitcoin money. It's my Bitcoin, and I'm not, I'm not selling it. So it's like uh, that's where people have criticized me for lending, but I'm like. If I never want to sell, then what am I supposed to do? You know, I, I can't have a time preference of zero and then just die. And I need to utilize them at some point, but I don't ever want to sell them. And so that's like my method of, of like taking some risk um, and, you know, taking that and living a lifestyle. Um, but it's funny because I don't really consider it my money. It's just an, I've hodled so long that it's just it's there, but it's I, I don't touch it like I don't. I'm not going to sell it like a, it's not like I think of it as like an active pool of wealth that I can go use for anything else. Like dollars in my bank account. Sure. I'm like, okay, cool. I can go do this with that or that with that. I can go buy this investment or that investment or buy this home or something like that. But with Bitcoin, I don't think about it like that at all. It's just like, I'm never touching this and it's a sizable amount, but I'm not, not ever going to touch it. Fair play, man. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the long-term hodling, though, just kind of changes. A lot of Bitcoiners have talked about time preference, like long-term hodling and time preference. It does change that to some extent. And a lot of people, when they're younger, never really saved any money. So Bitcoin may be their first time like saving and investing in general. I think HODL is a bigger philosophy than just Bitcoin. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's, a, it's an investing lifestyle that everyone should have. All the great investors have a HODL mindset. Active day trading is almost impossible to win unless you are one of the, the one of the great hedge funds or something and you have information no one else has. Mm -hmm. But being a small investor, your best chance is to buy and hodl. You have reduced fees, you reduce your time preference, and it, sometimes you know, depending on the asset, it compounds. And so I think that like that sort of mindset has bled over into other investments. Because Bitcoin isn't my only investment. You know, it's I haven't sold any, but I still make money doing other things and need to have something else outside of Bitcoin. Otherwise, you know, it's been 10 years that I've followed Bitcoin. I need to own some other stuff like a home someday. I've only rented my entire life. You know, these are, I think, reasonable things to, to own as other investments. And now you can get yourself a Bitcoin mortgage, which yes. is super interesting. Yeah, the Bitcoin mortgage stuff is super cool. And in terms of like the long-term hodler financial toolkit, you've got all these different ways where like you've hodled for a long time. Well, what do you do? You can lend it out. You can... Uh, right covered calls. You can borrow against it, like Unchained Capital uh, or Ledin. And then there's also like Bitcoin mortgages, which uh, there's uh, Ledin came out with one. And who are the other? Companies? And Arbor, because we've uh, got one coming because we spoke to Bill about it. There, there's a couple now. Yeah. Um, and so the Bitcoin mortgages are really cool. And I actually went through this process very recently about trying to get a mortgage. So mortgage companies don't care how much assets you have at all, they want to see income. Yep. And they want to see stable income. You want to see income over the last two years. And also you need two years worth of business income. And so they take someone of an average of that. Then they take your monthly mortgage payment and divide your income. You know, mm -hmm. to have that as the numerator, income as the denominator. And it gives them a um, debt to income ratio. They don't care if you have $100 million in the bank. That will not help you qualify for a mortgage. It was the most bizarre process I've ever gone through where I'm like, in these couple of accounts, like I'll identify one Bitcoin one, 
like the ones I use to earn a yield. Those are public. I publicly talk about those. I'm like, there's this many BTC there. And I'm like, here's also my brokerage account. And, you know, that cumulative value is greater than the mortgage's value. And they're like, don't care. We don't care. I'm like, I could literally pay off the mortgage tomorrow. And they're like, we don't care. But if you have a letter from an employer that says you earn X thousand a month, even though you could lose that job. You could lose that job like tomorrow. That. Yeah. Of course. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. And so hence the Bitcoin mortgage product for Bitcoiners like myself who have really struggled to get a Bitcoin or to get a mortgage in general. I did get qualified. I found one place that will qualify my Bitcoin as income. Interesting. They'll divide it by uh, 84. So you take your total sum of Bitcoin. You have to have it at a custodial exchange. They don't touch it. They just verify it once and you can move it back off. Interesting. So they don't custody the asset, which is really cool. Why 84? Is that, is that the really thing the maximum drawdown seven, is? Seven years. Um, it's some of their risk calculations of like some, I forget what the term is called, but they actually do it with traditional mortgages too. But they normally divide by 360, which is the total number of months for the mortgage. This one, they, which is like basically makes any investment worthless because you divide it by 360 and how much is that per month? Well, the really interesting thing about the Ledin product, because I saw it the other day, is that... Um, I imagined when the first mortgage products would come out, products would come out, it would be, all right, you want to buy, I don't know, say a million dollar house, you're going to require $2 million of Bitcoin locked up, having the 50% LTV, right? And that's that's what I assumed, but they're not. They're doing a company, they're taking the value of the home and then part of the Bitcoin. So you can get a much larger, larger home with a smaller amount of Bitcoin as you've got the deposit. And the great, well, the good thing about that, it gives you, you can use your asset to get a, larger property. The interesting thing is they're essentially going to have to get into the world of foreclosures potentially. Yeah. So um, some of these details are still kind of being worked out. I, I don't believe the Ledin product is live yet. It's on their website. It's on their website, but I think it's more of like request to like get, try it. to try it out. And I believe it's coming out first in Canada and it's not available in the US yet because I hit them up and asked. <laughs> right. They're a uh, sponsor of mine, by the way, full disclosure, they're a sponsor of mine. Um, and I've tried out their product and I've looked at some other ones as well. So with these Bitcoin mortgages, there's there's a couple types. Um, the one you talked about, I think is really cool where you have the mortgage component. Uh, so they have to work with an underwriter for that. And then they basically, the loan is for your down payment. So down payments can be ranged from 4% to 20%. Depends on the property, depends on your risk. And so let's say it's 20%. Um, they'll have you post Bitcoin as collateral. And then they'll essentially, you know, pay that mortgage. They'll they'll pay the down payment, and then they'll also bundle that with that mortgage, which is really cool. Um, some of these companies are also claiming that the when you borrow against your Bitcoin to pay the down payment, that it is non. It's not margin, and that you won't get margin called, which is a little bit mind blowing because I'm like, well, how would you do that? And I don't think Lennon's product does it. I believe that there is a margin call. So what they do is they also own the title to the home, where if they own the title to the home too, like they essentially they're part of the mortgage underwriting process as well, to where instead of like outsourcing the mortgage underwriting process, they somehow have a lien or ownership over the home as well. So they have your home and your Bitcoin as collateral hmm. for, and so, and so they're like, well, even if the Bitcoin value went to zero, the home value, we hypothesize might not. So you wouldn't get margin called on your Bitcoin, which is kind of cool. Well, it just kind of makes sense. Yeah. Now, typically, what I when I dug into the how these work, so I don't think Ledin doesn't do that. Ledin, you can still get margin called. What I realized how some of these work, though, I mean, they're taking your Bitcoin and they're doing stuff with it, of course, of course, to earn a yield on it, 
and to make, you know, make, cause they, they, <laughs> they gave dollars to this other company and they had to borrow those dollars at a, at a certain cost. Yeah. So they, they have to have a, some sort of way to fill, to plug that gap. So, um, Bitcoin mortgages, I think, are a huge financial innovation in the space. Really powerful for Bitcoiners. It does mean locking up your Bitcoin with someone and somewhere we're going to have to trust them for a very long time. That's a big if and that's a big risk. And with some of them, I try to configure a custom arrangement where I'm like, how about I go do it at Anchorage? And then we have a tri-party agreement where they can liquidate it at a certain level because I don't trust you. Frankly, you know, like over over thirty years, that's a long, it's a long time. That's a normal mortgage term. So, yeah, that's the tricky part. Is you've got them holding your Bitcoin for a very long time. Depends on how they construct it. If there are margin calls, well, you better make sure that you don't hit that because if you get margin called, you could not only lose your Bitcoin, but you could lose your home too. Yeah, which is like a <laughs> double whammy. Um, but these products yeah. are going to mature. They're going to figure them out. They're going to figure them out. I think like, I think it's a huge innovation. It's needed because a lot of Bitcoiners don't want to sell. They don't want to sell their Bitcoin and buy a home, but they want a home. I'm like the perfect ideal candidate. And so for me, it's just kind of figuring out like which one's the right one for me. And unfortunately, lead is not available in the US. Um, I know those guys well enough to where I'd feel somewhat comfortable. Like 30 years is still a long time though. I'd prefer something where there's like a custodian that holds on to it. Even a custodian though, better hope they don't get 6102. <laughs> Um, you know, having the state ask them to seize your assets. So there's there's a lot of risk with this. So I think if you're listening to this, it does solve a problem, but it has inherent risks with how you do it. It's just a different risk model. Of course. You've got to be fully aware of it, understand what you're signing up to. But maturity in the market for financial products from around Bitcoin is certainly something which is going to help take it forward. Absolutely. I think... The maturation of Bitcoin financial products has been fantastic. Um, we've got like Bitcoin mortgages. We have uh, lending out your Bitcoin, borrowing against your Bitcoin. These these didn't even exist before 2018. Mm-hmm. Like that was a whole different era back then. You you remember this? I mean, these mm-hmm. were new innovative products. You've also got some that are like selling like selling puts or selling calls as a yield generation strategy and doing that in an automated way, like Atomic Finance. Like those are really cool too. Uh, of course, people should know the risk that they're getting into when they do this. But with every investment, including hodling, which is going long, it comes with risks. It's just understanding those risks and which ones you you think are worth it. All right, man. Well, listen, Dan, always good to talk to you. I'm glad we get to do it in the, the free state of Texas. You mean the, uh, not the state, the country of Texas. The country of the Texas. Co- the country of Texas, yeah. Wow, bold statement. It is. Hey, Peter, great talking to you. Glad to have you here and... We're definitely going to do some barbecue. Yeah, tell me where to go. I mean, look, go to, is it danheld.com? Yeah, danheld.com if you want to check out kind of my background and some of my blog posts. Um, the Held Report is where I write kind of my fresh ideas every single week. So theheldreport.com, uh, that's where I'll post uh, kind of like my most recent weekly thoughts there around various Bitcoin topics. And then, of course, if you want my quick hits, if you want to have like the quick hit, my quick hit takes on Bitcoin, it's on Twitter, at danheld. All right, ma'am. Listen, uh, keep going. You're one of my best friends in Bitcoin. Known you for a long time. Appreciate everything you've done for me. Uh, keep stacking. Keep cool, man. Thanks for having me, Peter. Cheers. All right. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com.